Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, and this is Rivals number three. Rivals number three. I know that's what y'all been waiting on, so it's here, man. It's here. We're getting ready to do this and kick this thing off, but let me give you a little backup on all the things that have been going on with the show, right? If you haven't watched it, I want you to go back and watch Rivals one and two, but if you haven't, I'm going to go ahead and catch you up right here, but I wish you would go back and listen to the other episodes. In Rivals number one, you learn about Chris, you know, when he got shot. They shot him, left him for dead, you know what I mean? Then Rivals 2, you learn about him becoming a gangster, right? Joining the family, making it official. He's one of the guys that's in the street stomping and doing his thing, right? But in this episode, you're going to learn about that one event that shaped the way he sees life, that shaped the way he lives his life, right? This event is so powerful, it's influencing everything and every decision that he's going to make for the next few years, right? Related to his, his, his relationships, his son that is going to be coming, all of these things, right? This one event is what's about to shape it, right? So just sit back, relax. I hope you learned something from this show. This is a serious thing. It's a serious topic. And like I told you before, this is a true story, y'all. True story. The brother that uh, is giving me permission to do this, he wrote this story out for me. And I'm going to be reading this letter to y'all again and again and again until it's all said and done and the whole thing is done and so you get a full picture of who he is in this lifestyle right because i want y'all to really understand it right so sit back relax and enjoy the show okay the story you're about to hear is true the names places and affiliations have been changed to protect the identities of the actual participants there's gotta be some way to stop this vicious cycle death to all my rivals death to all my rivals Success to my affiliates and all my idols But death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals It's gotta be some way to stop this vicious cycle Death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals Success to my affiliates and all my idols But death to all my rivals, death to all my rivals Who one of ours, we kill one of yours It's a vicious cycle Money and drugs up in the mix just keeps the interest heightened it's on site, so when I catch you, clash up the titans If I can't shoot you, I'ma fight you, knuckle up and knife you Cause in my hood, yo, it's all about survival Watching my opposition through the crosshairs of a rifle Dog light, it wasn't enough crap to let the light through Welcome to doing time with Joe, we'll show about the rivals Dear Joe, I didn't choose this life It was chosen for me yeah, I know I asked my pops for permission to join, but I didn't really want to. I was seeking approval like most people do, right? But in this situation with me, dealing with me, it was different because you got other people out there in the world. They want to become a part of this. I was born into this. I didn't have a choice. Yeah, I asked for permission, but at the end of the day, what other opportunities did I have? I didn't have anybody around me pushing me to become a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. All I saw was gangsters, prostitutes and pimps, drug dealers on the streets. Everything in my world was about doing something illegal. But that's what I was dealt. And I dealt with it. As I said in my last letter, the way my mother and father hugged me the night before they left to go put in work on the people that shot and left me for dead, it confused me. I didn't really understand it because my pops had never really embraced me like that. It woke something up in me. It woke something up in me that I had never felt before. And in those few seconds, you know, of what I was feeling, I feel like I believed that that was real love. 
I had never felt that. Everything that I was feeling was gangster love. And, I'm, and if you know anything about the life, and I know you do, Joe, gangster love, that's not real. That's not real because it's conditional. But the love of a mother and a father, it's unconditional. And I felt that from my pops that day. And I don't know what it was, but I wish that I could have that. So, you know, when they pulled off, I knew that that's what I wanted. I knew that's what I wanted. I didn't want this lifestyle. I wanted my moms and pops. I wanted to be a family, Joe. I heard the knock on the door, man. I heard the knock on the door. They hadn't been gone long. I got to the door, I opened it, and all I saw was some of the brothers telling me to grab a bag and let's go. I'm like, what's going on? Where my moms and pops at? Nobody would tell me anything. They said, grab a bag and let's go. So I grabbed some clothes and threw them in the bag. I didn't know where we were going, but when we were in the car driving away, I heard the two brothers in the front seat said, don't he got a grandmama on the other side of town? They looked back at me and said, you know where your grandmama live at? I didn't even know I had one. You know what I'm saying? Nobody had ever mentioned her to me. And I'm saying, why am I going over there? What's going on? Where's my mom's and pop's at? They turned back around facing the front and they was driving. So now they pick up the phone. They call somebody else. Do you know where Chris's mom and pop's is at? That's what they were saying on the phone. And I heard somebody say, yeah, 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 okay. They gave them the address. Next thing I know, I'm standing on the porch. They ring the doorbell. The brothers looked at me and said, look, G, you're going to stay here for a while. We'll catch back up with you later. Where my moms and pops at? That's what I'm saying. Ain't nobody telling me nothing. This old lady opens up the front door. She looks at me. She recognizes me, but I don't recognize her. She said, Chris, what are you doing here? And I said, who are you? She said, I'm your grandmother. I'm your mother's mother. She said, come on in. Why are you standing out here? I stepped in. She said, what's going on? And I told her what happened. I said I was at home, my moms and pops left, they were going to come back. I didn't tell her they was going to put in work. I said they left, they didn't come back, and two of, two of the brothers brought me over here and said I'll be staying over here. So she looked at me, confused, not knowing what's going on. I seen her pick up the phone and call, nobody answered. Nobody answered. So she said, hmm. Come on in the kitchen. Have you had anything to eat? I was like, nah, I ain't had nothing to eat. She said, no, ma'am. There ain't no nah in this house. Nobody had ever spoke to me like that. You know what I'm saying? So I said, no, ma'am. I haven't had anything to eat. So we went in the kitchen. She turned on the TV. Breaking news. Gang shooting on the other side of town, right? Two people had been killed in a car. I looked on the TV and I seen the car, recognized the car. It was my pop's car. 
I saw a body hanging out one window and I saw another person leaning forward in the front seat, like leaning forward on the dashboard. Crime scene tape all up. I saw a couple of people laying on the streets. I'm looking at it and I know who it is. Tear ran down my cheek. I didn't know what to say. My grandmama, she's looking at it. She said, you know what, who that is, boy? I said, yeah. She said, yes, ma'am. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, who is that? What's going on? I said, that's my moms and pops right there. So she looked, put her glasses on, got up on the TV real close, and they could see it. She could see it. But they at the bottom of the screen, it was like they hadn't identified the people in the car yet. Right? So she's looking. She can tell it's her daughter. She's looking. Then she grabbed her mouth. And she said, oh, like she was about to cry. Then she said, boy, what is going on? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. She called the police. She said, I'm looking at TV and I see a shooting on the other side of town that looks like my daughter in that car. So the policeman asked for her address. She gave him the address. Within five minutes, they were there. They got me hemmed up, asking me, because she tells them that I just got dropped off by two other people, and I'm the son of her daughter that was in that car. So they asked me, who was that in that car and what was going on? I said, I don't know. She's looking at me and said, boy, you better tell them what's going on. I couldn't do that. I really didn't know what was going on. But I remember what my father told me when I was in the hospital when I got shot before. Don't say nothing to the police. Now, keep in mind, I'm still a kid. I just see my moms and pops on TV dead. The police is over here at my grandmother, which I had never met this woman. The police are over here questioning me about my moms and pops in the car and I'm so messed up in the head, I don't tell them nothing. I don't tell them nothing because I don't know what to do. This is what I've been taught. But I didn't understand that I was hurting the situation by not telling them what I knew because by not telling them what I know, they couldn't find out what was going on because I didn't know anything. All I knew is that they were going in to put in work against the people that had shot me years ago and left me for dead. But don't nobody want to tell me nothing. Just drop me off. These people that have been around me my whole life, drop me off over at a stranger's house. I don't know this woman. I don't know this woman. So when the police turns around and looks at me, he said, uh, huh. yeah, you just like your daddy. I'm looking at him. And I'm thinking about what my dad is telling me, you know what I'm saying, about the police, how you can't trust them, ain't none of them worth nothing. And I'm just looking at them. And I start to feel that hatred for them just building up in my chest. Just keep staring at him. He's staring at me. I know what he's thinking about me. He's thinking I'm a piece of shit. And I'm thinking the same thing about him. He ain't nothing to me. So they tell my grandmother when he gets ready to talk, call us. Until then, it's just some more niggas in the street. 
This is what he tell my grandma. She comes back in. She lets them out. She come back in the room and said, boy, why come you didn't tell them what you know? And I told her, I don't know nothing. She said, well, what happened? I'm not telling her nothing either. Why would I? I don't know her. I don't know her. I don't even know why they dropped me off over here. So I sat down. She fixed me a plate. I mean, some fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and macaroni and cheese with some light bread. Two pieces of white bread and a cup of Kool-Aid. I'm sitting there eating, forcing myself to eat. She sat down at the table. She's trying to talk to me. She said, boy, you look just like your mama. I don't know what to say. I keep my head down eating. I look up at her every now and then because this is awkward. I don't know this woman. I've never met her a day in my life. My mama never told me about her. I don't even know her name. She's standing and looking at me, and then she reaches over the table and grabs my hand. She's squeezing my hand. I see the tears running down her, down her face. What's she crying for? What's really going on? I don't even understand that. You got to keep in mind, at that age, at that time, with what I knew about the world, I'm so disconnected. I'm looking at her like, what you crying for, lady? But this lady was crying because her heart was broken. This was my grandmother. She never, ever, as far as I knew, as far as I can remember, had seen me before. And now she's watching the TV and sees that her daughter is dead. And then the police officer that comes over here, he's disrespectful and talking, it's just two more niggas in the streets. So she's looking at me like, what's going to happen now? She looks old. She can't raise me. So after a couple of days of being there with her, she makes a call down south to Memphis, Tennessee. We got an auntie down there, right? I didn't even know I had an auntie. <laughs> My mother got a sister that I never even heard about. I got family that I've never met in my life. So my grandmother tells me that she's going to put me on the bus to Memphis. I said, I'm not going to no Memphis. She said, boy, you're going to Memphis. I can't raise you. I'm too old to be trying to raise a child. Well, you know what it is. You know exactly what it is. That night, when she went to sleep, oh, I jumped straight out the window trying to make my way back to the house. I get back over there. Everything is still the same. Prostitutes and pimps in the streets. Everybody running up and down the street trying to buy dope. Right? Then I go holler at my pop, second in command, trying to talk to him. He said, what are you doing over here? I said, man, I'm coming back home. He said, you don't live over here no more, man. I said, man, this is my mom and dad's house. He said, man, this GD house. And you, it ain't safe for you over here right now. I'm like, what you mean it ain't safe over here right now? I, I grew up over here. I live over here. Y'all ain't going to protect me? I ain't family no more? Then he looked at me. He didn't even say nothing. He grabbed me by my collar, walked me over there to his car, threw me in the car, and drove me right back across town to my grandmother's house and told me, look, man, when the time is right, I'll explain to you what's going on. But right now, you can't be over there. That's just dead on that. He said, trust me on that, man. I'll get back at you about this. I promise you, I'll let you know what's going on when the time is right. But right now, it's not that time. 
And you need to stay somewhere where it's safe. But they ain't doing nobody else like that. But I didn't realize who my daddy was. He ran the whole city. Everybody answered to him. And now he had been killed and his wife, which is my mama. Together they ran the city for the folks. And they had been slaughtered in a shooting where they were going to put in work. How did that happen? How did that happen? So I'm back at my grandmother's house. She put me on the bus. I'm headed to Memphis. I ain't never been out of the state. I'm going to Tennessee. Ain't nothing but country folks down there. I don't know what's going on. I get down there. My auntie and them, they waiting for me at the bus station. Pick me up. Everybody run up and hug me. Say, hey, cuz. What's up, cuz? All this old kind of stuff. I don't even know these people, man. That's, that's another thing that this lifestyle will do to you. It'll alienate you from your blood. The people that love you, the people that's in your vein. It'll alienate you from them. Remember that now, y'all. All of y'all out there that want to do this. But you'll build a family around people that have the same interests as you, as, as brothers and sisters as you as far as the business is, but they ain't got no genuine concern for you like your parents, your aunties, your uncles, your cousins, your grandparents. But they'll make you feel like they do. Okay, but it ain't real because as soon as soon as something happens, things change, just like it had for me. My mother and father get killed. Ain't nobody told me how or nothing. What happened? Now I'm on the way in another state, and done met two family members that I ain't never met in my life, never been told about in my life. So now I'm sitting down here in Memphis, Tennessee. These folks sounding all weird. What up, man? And all this. I ain't never heard nobody talk like that. I can't relate to none of these people. But one good thing about it, I'm sitting on the porch. There's this girl come outside. Her name Keisha. Mm. You should have seen Keisha, Joe. Five. Number hips and fingertips. And she chewing that chewing on like she just all fast with them big hoop earrings in her ear. Braids gone going to the back. Six braids at that. I made me wonder, is she the business? And she's standing there looking at me. I'm looking at her and we just like, mm. She said, what are you doing down here? You from Chicago? That's how she talked. You from Chicago? Real country. Chewing on that bubble gum. Then she grabbed it with her finger and then pulled it out of her mouth. Like she just all grown, right? Me and her both 15 going on grown. Don't know nothing, but we looking at each other like we know. Now I'm standing there thinking, okay then, let me shoot my shot. Keep in mind, I ain't even kissed a girl in my life. But I'm the city guy. I got to play my role. You feel what I'm talking about? So me and Keisha, we sat there. We started talking, kicking it. Her mama come out. Said, who is that boy over there? She introduced me. I introduced myself. Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. All of that kind of stuff. She said, oh, you the one they brought down here from Chicago. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, you better watch yourself. You better watch. She telling me, <laughs> I better watch myself. Yeah. Talking about her own daughter. Not talking about her own daughter is fast, right? Little did I know. Little did I know. That her mama was a prostitute, her daddy was a pimp. Yeah, they faster than me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Faster than me. So after a couple of days, I'm down there. My auntie and them get me in school. They enroll me in school. 
and I'm going to school, I don't like it. I see that I'm far behind. I'm not learning anything. I don't want to be there because I'm still thinking about my mom and my dad. Ain't nobody explained nothing to me, told me nothing about my mom and dad, how they died, why they died, what's really going on. I knew they were going to put in work, but nobody told me what happened to them. How did they get ambushed like that and get killed like that? It made me think somebody set them up. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on at this point. So I'm coming home from school one day. And I'm walking down the sidewalk, me and Keisha, you know what I'm saying? And by now, you know, me and Keisha, we really vibing, you know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing happened at this point, but we really vibing, you know? Coming down the sidewalk, and she's telling me, she said, you know them boys you at school today, they said they don't like you. I said, oh, really? She was like, yeah. She said, and they gangsters, too. I said, gangsters? Yeah, I ain't got no gangsters down here. She said, you don't see all these people running around, all these blue flags and all this and that and whatnot? I'm like, yeah, I see, but ain't no gangsters down here. Gangsters from Chicago. I'm saying this because this is all I know. Right? She said, are you a gangster? I ain't answer. I ain't tell her nothing. You don't tell nobody to be in it. See, that's what's wrong with everybody talk all, telling everybody to be in it these days. I ain't tell her nothing. I had been taught not to talk about it, so I didn't talk about it. She, to me, she was just a peon. She was a good-looking peon, but she was a peon. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but anyway, I'm walking down the street, and I see a car that I recognize. It looks like my dad's second lieutenant, second in command. It looks like his car. So I start walking up on it. And the closer I get, the more I know it's his car. So I start trotting. She said, well, where you going? I said, I'm running to the house. I got to get to the house. So as I'm running down there, I see him come out. And he comes out on the porch. I didn't notice it the night that he took me back to my grandmother's. But he's got a sling on his arm. His arm is in a cast and he's got a bandage around his neck on the right side of his neck. And I'm standing there looking at him saying, man, what's going on? So when I get up on him, I'm standing there talking to him. He said, uh, what's up, G? Now, everybody's out. Everybody's out. And they're watching me talk to him. Everybody in this neighborhood is watching me talk to him. And I'm saying to myself, man, something's going on. Because they're looking at me weird now. They're looking at me like I'm somebody. And that's when I started to realize what was going on. He had taken my daddy's spot. This was the gov. He was running the city now. And he had come down to Memphis to let them know who I am. And now everybody's looking at me like I'm somebody. And that's what blew my mind, because now all of a sudden, these people in the neighborhood, these dudes in the neighborhood that have been giving me these snotty looks and all of these types of things, now all of a sudden, they're looking at me like, oh man, he the business. Yeah, I'm the business now. So, you know, he took me to the side and he's talking to me, he's trying to tell me what was going on and what happened to my parents and how they died and everything. And he told me, he said, look, when they pulled up that night, he said it was, they were waiting on him. They was waiting on him. 
He took a bullet in the arm and the neck. They sprayed my mom. He said, my mama, my mama died first. She got shot right between the eyes. She was leaning out the car. Shot her right between the eyes. Then you look at my uh my daddy, where he got killed, he got shot. He got shot over eight times. Killed him. But the, somebody was waiting on him. And they've been investigating. They think they figured out who it is. And they finna pull up on him as soon as he gets back to Chicago. But don't nobody really know what's going on. But they think somebody set my mom and dad up. Now, I'm looking at him like, why would somebody do that? The way my mom and dad treated everybody. And he said, look, man. This lifestyle that we choose to live, it's not a lifestyle where everybody's cool. It may look like it. He said, everybody that claims they're your folks ain't your folks. He said, this is a cutthroat thing. He said, that's why I had to get you away from there. I had to get you out of the area because I thought somebody was going to try to come after you. Because if somebody was bold enough to cross your daddy, knowing the status that he had in the whole city, then you had to be next. So that's why I brought you down here. And don't nobody know you down here but me and a few of the guys. And you're going to stay down here until it's safe for you to come back. It might not never be safe for you to come back. But you're going to be down here and you're going to be all right. Because he said, these are my people down here. He said, you see all these people out here? These are your brothers and sisters now. And I'm letting everybody know, if you mess with him, we're coming back. And if we have to come back down here, it's going to be a problem. This is what he's telling everybody. Now everybody's standing around, shaking their head, like, that's what's up, folks. That's what's up. We got him. He's straight. M-Town. All that old kind of stuff, right? So now, all of a sudden, I'm standing around. I'm looking around everybody. My chest starting to stick out. I'm feeling myself now. But at the same time, man, I'm missing my mom and dad, man. And I want them. I'll take them back over all of this stuff. I don't want none of this stuff. I want my moms and dad back. Ain't none of this stuff mean none to me. That's what I want. I want to be around my moms and dad. But I can't have that. I can't have that as long as uh, I'm on this earth. They gone. Ain't no, ain't no coming back. That's what people need to understand out there, Joe. They need to understand that in this lifestyle, when you die, it ain't no hit replay or reset like you playing a video game. You gone. You gone. And don't nobody care nothing about your tears. Don't nobody care about none of that. You crying. Whatever it is, don't nobody care nothing about none of that. In this lifestyle, anything goes. So that's when I started to get it. My heart got real hard and cold then, Joe. And I swore that day, anybody on the other side can get it. And I vowed to get revenge for my mom and daddy, man. No matter how long it took, anybody that was in that game to kill my parents, they can get it. I don't care who it is. I put that on everything. And from that day on, I was a beast. I was a beast. I stayed in Memphis for several years. Me and Keisha hooked up. You already know. Yeah, you already know. She had a little boy. My son. Chris Jr. Yeah. 
That's when my son came into the world. I wasn't number 18. She was 17, turning 18. Now we got us a little boy. Now we out there hustling. You know, she getting money, you know, doing the same thing her mama doing. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? It's just what it is. But I wasn't treating Chris Jr. the way my daddy treated me. I played with him. I did all the things with him. I still had my foot in the game, but I spent time with him, talked to him, played with him, bought him things. I was there as much as I knew how to be. And then one night I had to go out and put in some work. But this time, I didn't come back. And that's when they locked me up. When I went to court, the judge gave me two life sentences running wild. I was numbered 18 when I came to the penitentiary. Chris was barely one and a half years old. So I didn't get to spend much time with him. I didn't get to spend much time with him. She would visit me at the jail, bring him down there to see me. But when they shipped me out to prison, it was harder for her to get there. So, you know, I had to do what everybody else does in the penitentiary, get that money so I can send it to her so she can come visit me and take care of my son. And that's what I did. Check this out, y'all. I'm going to stop this episode right here. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to pick this back up in Rivals 4. I hope that this has been... Uh, one of those episodes where it's been informative that you learn and understand where Chris is at, why it shaped him the way it is and, and, the, and the way he thinks. I hope you understand where he's coming from. I'm not condoning it. And he's not either. I'm starting to see in the letters. And you're going to see as y'all read these letters to you that he understands now how he turned out to be the way he is and how he regrets it. But you're going to see that for yourself. You know what I'm saying? This has been another episode of Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, and I say peace, y'all. Critical thinking if you hustling the banking. Harder ain't smarter. Tuck, yelling and arguing made me carve you with a carbon. Humbling giants. 50 bananas going defiant. No IG beefing, street sweeping. I come with reapers. Fuck your people. Fuck the judge. You want to ride this how you thug. I wake up, wash my face with blood. Back to dancing in mud. I read the scripture with this folk nigga. Be damned if I get blamed by a whole nigga. Now see the whole picture. Crossing from niggas who roll with you. Who forget you.